Hello and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. My name is Jack and I am tonight joined by a special guest. <laughs> special in that he's always here, but <laughs> right. Blake, iconoclast. Labry, yeah, right. yeah, right. Um, G- Grayson, Grayson couldn't be with us tonight. He he wasn't feeling well, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, but the two of us are going to try and tackle a difficult subject in this little bonus episode: mm. um, the second commandment, and and specifically as it relates to images of God and where the rubber meets the road is for most people is images of Jesus. Right? Does right. the second commandment prohibit us making, using, watching TV? Uh, the chosen, whatever else, uh, images of Jesus. Does it prohibit that? Uh, right. We would say yes. Mm-hmm. So, spoiler alert, Affirm. we would say yes. Affirm. Yeah. And our, this, this, this episode is really going to be driven at explaining that position. So, uh, several months back, we did an episode on the chosen and spent a few minutes talking about one of the issues we had with the chosen of many was uh, the second commandment. And this continues to be an ongoing debate. I mean, the chosen continues to be a pop culture phenomena. Yeah. Right? Wildly popular. Wildly yeah. popular. Uh, and, and then this, this, this isn't a, not a new debate by the way, but other things bring it up. And just on the Facebook page that we manage, um, the subject matter just comes up a lot. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we post about it from time to time, but whenever we post about it, it's just a fire of comments, right? Cause yeah, we, yeah. we get called all kinds of things. Right. Um, so we thought this podcast would be a helpful way, more long form than just silly memes. Um, yeah to explain our position, right? Definitely. Um, so I think, um, you know, you, you know, one of the things that someone said is they called us legalist kind of fair Pharisees in the way we're interpreting the commandment. Hmm. And I hope if anything else, just to, if nothing else is accomplished in this episode, that maybe that is not the case for us. This is biblical conviction. Like we, we Blake and I, and many others, this is not just us, by the way, this is, we didn't just make this up. <laughs> this is a unique, uh, Blake and Jack kind of setting here. <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't just make this up. Right. Uh, this is, this has been a position that Christians have held for a very long time. In fact, I would say if you go back into the old Testament and the idea have, of, can we make images of God? Held. Right. Uh, always held. Yeah. So yeah. this is not a new thing, but mm. it is a very controversial thing. Right. Can I ask you real um, quick, Jack? Yeah. Question. So um, just a little bit of maybe about your background. Did you grow up in uh, a setting where uh, in your, in your Christian walk uh, where like images of Christ were a second commandment violation or was that no. something you grew into or <clears throat> something I grew like? into later, maybe five, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, the, J.I. Packer's Knowing God, which I brought it here as kind of a reference. So if anyone's looking for a couple extra resources, I'll mention a couple at the end of the podcast, but this is one of them. There's actually only a chapter dedicated to it on this, mm-hmm. in this book. But when I read this book, maybe in the early 2000s, 2005, six, seven, somewhere in there, um, there's a whole chapter on it and it kind of blew my mind. And, you know, it was something I, I didn't really take a firm stance on. Uh, but, but tucked away. And over the years, as I continued to mull on it, think about the second commandment, you know, read and study. I mean, it, it, it probably took 10 years for this position to really, mm. really develop, uh, for me. It was not a, I read this verse and then, okay, now I believe it, right? It, it took some time because as you, the other thing you asked, did I grow up with it? No, like I, I didn't right. really grow up in a Christian, uh, uh, a strongly influenced Christian home. Right. Mm. Um, so there wasn't like images and pictures of Jesus everywhere. So right. it wasn't something that I had a, 
yeah, you know, feelings towards one way or yeah, another. Yeah, it, was it was something you like, had to think through and right. work through, and it wasn't just uh, you know because sometimes you you know people get accusations, and this isn't necessarily bad. This isn't a bad thing in and of itself. But right. sometimes people will say, well, you know, you just grew up in that or that's what your parents taught you. Yeah. So therefore you, you know, so, but you had to, you had to actually work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So same, it's controversial same for me. Yeah. Same yeah. for you. I remember yeah. you and I talked about this many years yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Kind of yeah. Along. I, uh, yeah, I changed really positions on this just a few years ago. Actually, yeah. I was already a pastor. I, uh, yeah. I, it was already, um, Basically, I was preaching through the Ten Commandments and had kind of taken more of a neutral stance. And uh, then as I was studying it, it just was more and more clear uh, that I needed to make a uh, make a more definitive, you know, stance on things. So. Yeah. When, when you made the change, did you like have to remove stuff out of Sunday school and Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, so it was kind of a, it was a, it was a process of things. So I had already been, when I, when I became a Christian, I was like super into images of Christ. Uh, I was just a young believer. I just thought it was cool, you know, cool stuff. Uh, And then uh, my pastor uh, took more of a, um, I, I don't know if it was a, it was a theological stance, but he never really hit it hard as a theological stance. His favorite illustration was, well, if I hung a picture of some strange woman up on my wall and said, that's my wife, uh, you would say, no, that's not your wife. Uh, and, and then he would say, oh, well, it reminds me of my wife, you know, <laughs> or she, like that. it's like, how weird would that be? And so his thing was always like, it's not, it's not Jesus. Uh, and so to, to hang up a picture, quote unquote, of Jesus, um, and have it not actually be him, it's just weird, you know. Yeah. So that was kind of his thing, and so I had kind of like started like, yeah, I can kind of see that, you know. But then it was when I really started studying the the theological end of things, it was like, wow, that's uh, there's there's definitely something more there. And then yeah. it was a process uh, through that because in our church, and for those of you who are pastors, I mean, you you know this, um, you don't change positions in a week and then change everything. Right. You know, that same, you know, by the way, you know, kind of thing. And so actually what it did was it allowed me to uh, preach a couple of messages just surrounding that uh, and even explaining uh, to our people like, okay, this was something that previously I was on in, on this side and now I'm on this side and this is why, you know, yeah. so, uh, and um, it was really benef- It was really good. It was it was really yeah. beneficial. And then we, you know, started working out. You know, getting uh, images of Christ out of Sunday school material and stuff like that. Yeah. And guess what? We still have a thriving kids Sunday school with no images of Jesus. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and then we lost all the children and all the parents, mm. and nobody came. And it turns out it was the images of Jesus that made the difference. You know, no, no. So um, yeah, yeah. So that was something I had to, to grow into as well. And, uh, yeah. 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 It makes sense. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So anyway, kind of maybe another thing I'll say introduction, it's controversial. Uh, I don't hope, I don't expect to change anyone's mind in this podcast. What I do hope to do, or I, I do. is really just to defend the position Blake does. Yeah. I hope to defend the position. And I think a reason that so many people think it's absurd that we think this is because they've never really thought about it or never really right. studied it. That's not everyone. There are people who right. have and go the other way, right? Uh, like Roman Catholics, for example. Um, 
but I think there's a lot of people who have just never really dug into it. Or they, right, or, they, right. or they make some big assumptions about the second commandment, which I think yeah. we'll get into. Right. And images of Christ and things in culture are so prevalent right. that I think that, that a lot of people, it's just like, oh, well, yeah, it's a, yeah, of course it's, it's normal. Yeah, it's normal. It can't and be then, bad because everyone does it. Right, right. I mean, no, no, though they wouldn't say that. Right. They wouldn't say that, but it is kind of just that, oh, I guess. Yeah, How can I guess an image of Jesus be bad? It's Jesus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so we re- so we recognize, like Jack said, that this is a controversial subject. We recognize that we, at least at this point in history in Western society, are in the minority uh, of people that hold this view. But yeah. I think it's just something. It's something to consider. You know, look at look at God's word. See what God's word says. Consider uh, what you are gaining out of having images versus what you are risking by violating God's law, if it is a violation of God's law, and just let the cards kind of fall where they may. Yeah. So a little brief history. I thought it'd be helpful to give a little history because as we made, as we mentioned, uh, we did not make this position up. Um, This reading or understanding of the prohibition of images of Jesus or of God, to be be, uh, exact there, I would say it's the historical reform position. So out of the reform Reformation, uh, when you Luther didn't believe this, but by the time you got to Calvin and got into the in the classical sense, the reform quote unquote position, uh, this is taught. The Westminster Confession Confession of Faith has this. I believe the London Baptist Confession of mm-hmm. Faith. Mm-hmm. I didn't look at that before I came in here, but mm-hmm. I think I, I'm pretty sure it, it, it held that position. And this was the position of the Reformed Protestant movement for a long time. And what I find really interesting too is. That the use, the usage of images and representations of Jesus didn't even come around until the third century, right? Right. So it was in the third century. So prior to that, first century Christians, second century Christians, they recognized images of Jesus to be uh, idolatry. It would have been an act of idolatry to create mm-hmm. that. So if anything, the reformers recognize that, and and that's the position today. So again, we didn't make this up. The reformers believe this. The early church believed this, right? And right. certainly, the Israelites in in the Old Testament held this position too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I got a quote here um, by uh, Bavink, uh, Hermit Bavink, um, and and I find this kind of interesting because he he points out that historically. In the third century, when these images began to kind of become literate, when Christianity began to use images of Jesus, and we've all seen these, if you've seen these icons, these old pictures uh, that the early church used of Jesus, Bavink kind of kind of gives some some information here on where he thinks he come where they come from. So this is what he says, kind of a long quote, but I'll I'll read it real quick. He says, "Quote: The church fathers in those days rejected the same arguments." coming from the pagans that the Roman Catholics use today to defend the veneration of images. At that time, pagans were also saying that they were worshiping not the images, but those whom the images represented. However, the church father, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Lactinius, Lactantius. What do you got, Blake? Yeah, Lactantius is what I would say. But He replied, quote, "You, you fear them doubtless on this account because you think that they are in heaven. For if they are gods, the case cannot be otherwise. Why then do you not raise your eyes to heaven and invoking their names offer sacrifices in the open air? Why do you look to the walls and wood and stone rather to the place that you believe them to be? And Bavink continues, the Synod, uh, the, the synod of Alviron 306 specified in Canon 36, quote, and this is quoted out of the Canon, 
It seemed good that the images should not be in churches so that what is venerated and worshipped not be unpainted in walls, end quote. Mm-hmm. And then Bavink kind of wraps things up here. He says, we see from the catacombs that the paintings and drawings in the early days of the church were all symbolic in an allegorical or typological sense. Thus, early on, people had to use the sign of the cross and the symbol of the fish. So right. long quote there. A couple of things I'll just draw out of that because that's a long quote. The early church to not be idolatrous was using things like the sign of the cross and the symbol of the fish. Right. That was to symbolize Christianity. They recognized the use of images to be idolatry because it was borrowing from pagan practices. Unreal. Yeah. 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 So, uh, any thoughts on that? Kind of my little brief. No, I think summary black. I mean, it's so what's interesting is again, it's how history repeats itself and you get into these waves of, culture and you know culture pressing in and the church having to break away and then culture presses in the church has to break away culture pre- i mean this is the exact same thing that happens with uh the israelites and the golden calf whole issue yeah. i mean when you're looking at so early on you have early christians saying well no we're not going to make idols or you know we're not going to make images of god because that's what the pagans do right well israel being in Egypt around all of this <laughs> pagan stuff and everything, they come out and they immediately start doing what? Trying to worship God the, by way. images, yeah. right? So the thing that we see in the Ten Commandments is, and Jack and I were talking about this off uh, off camera, was that in the Ten Commandments, you have all of these you know good moral commands and all of that. Uh, they're also very loving in their training of the Israelites who have been ripped out of this pagan society. Right. Uh, I mean the, the commandment to, you know, to rest and worship on the Sabbath, uh, they were not used to that. And so they they have to learn that lesson again and again. God says, well, things are going to be different now. And then when it comes to worshiping God with images, that is what they are used to. Like that's what their society had taught and everything else. And now they have to relearn like, well, right. no, we don't worship God through images yeah. or aided by images or whatever uh, the the thing might be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe we should read the second commandment. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be a good thing to do now. Uh, yeah, do you have it pulled up? Pulled up. Yeah, yeah. Now? Exodus twenty uh, four through six. You shall not make for yourself any carved. Im- well, I should say. So in Exodus twenty verse one, what I love is the Lord lays down. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. So like he lovingly brings them out of Egypt and then he instructs them. Yeah. Okay. So he doesn't say, keep these commandments and I will pull you out of slavery. He says, I've pulled you out of slavery. Now keep these commandments. Okay. So I think I just jump in and say, yeah, this is my Presbyterian comment for the day. Yeah. That's why Presbyterians say that that's a, that, that was a covenant of grace. Yeah. Because God redeemed first. I'm done now. You can keep oh, going. Okay. I I I don't I wouldn't disagree with that, I don't think. Wow. Wow. We're gonna have to talk about this offline. It's happening. It's happening. No, no. <laughs> Grayson, where are you? I need you. No. No. Uh no. Uh so um 
No, but with all of that, uh, obviously, uh, they're having to, you know, relearn things and all of that. So right. Exodus 24 through six comes, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but following steadfast love or but showing rather steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah, that's great. And I want to read, uh, this is another lengthy text, but I think it's really helpful uh, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy four, starting at verse 15. I, and I added this in here because I think there's, it's a helpful text as, as kind of a secondary to the primary, because what we see here is, is the playing out. It's a, it's a re it's a, it's how Israel understood it, how Moses mm -hmm. took the commandment and how you see it it playing out like the application of it. So I think it's helpful as we look to interpret the second commandment. And in the context here, <clears throat> uh, Israel's about to walk into the promised land. And when you get into the beginning of chapter four, Moses is basically giving parting words or parting instructions. He's, he's don't forget these things when you go over there, cause I'm not going with you. And when you get to verse 15, he says this. So keep that in mind. What, what it, what Moses is saying here is near the top of the list. Like it's not the first thing he says, but kind of like the Ten Commandments, like this is number two. Uh, this is what he says. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 23. Moses says to Israel, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on, on the ground, the likeness of any fish in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over to Jordan, but you shall go over and take the possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's in a lot of ways, he's repeating the second commandment. Right. He's like really drawn. And that's like a sermon of the second commandment. Right. Well, I mean, so yeah, he says in verse 13 and 14, the Lord gave me the commandments yep. and told me to teach them to you. And then yep. he goes on to explain, okay, well, what, you know, so what is... What is Moses's explanation of these various things? And right there, you have this thorough, thorough, you are not to make images to represent God, and you are not to worship images. There it is. It is a two-part command. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and those are the imperatives in the second commandment. And I think uh, as we kind of jump in into that here, when we begin to look at the second commandment, I, I would say this fact 
is maybe the one thing that people overlook more than mm -hmm. any other in this discussion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There are two imperatives. There are two. It's the second commandment, but there are two separate parts to it, two separate commands in the right. Hebrew and the English. They're not linked together. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Mm -hmm. Like those are, while they're certainly related, right? Thematically, yeah, yeah. they're separate things. And I, I think that's a big thing that people people miss when, when uh, thinking about the application of the second commandment today. Right, right. So, and there's another key point here. And I know we've talked about this before. The first commandment deals with what specifically? Worshiping God alone. Right. The so worshiping God. God alone. So that, that cuts all uh, false gods yeah. out. So false gods of the mind, false gods that you make images of, you know, worshiping. I mean, anything that you're worshiping, uh, not uh, apart from God or alongside God right. is a violation of the first commandment, one. right? So yeah. we'll worship God alone, monotheism, you know, kind of classic thing. And then the second commandment deals primarily with how God is worshipped. So first commandment, worshipping the right God. Second commandment, mm -hmm. worshipping the right God in the right way. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, big, big deals here. And again, as Blake mentioned earlier, uh, and I think it's important, this was in, you know, they're brought out of Egypt. This was in contrast to what they had experienced before. In Egypt, in the Cana in the Can uh, with the Canaanites, it's what they were. It's different from the rest of the world. They were being uniquely set apart and different from the rest of the world, right? In the way that they would use images, in the way that they would worship God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's big. I think right. that's big. Yeah, yeah. And I would just so I would just say to the you know dear listener, if you're think we're crazy so far, I mean, just just consider that just consider that point. I mean, the whole congregation of Israel is having to learn this point. You know, yeah. and so there's nothing wrong with looking at this and saying, well, you know, maybe for us, there is a, uh, maybe for us, there needs to be a reassessment that takes we place. We got to redo the, we need, yeah, we got to re, yeah. things are different now. It's not culturally relevant. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and then finally, and then we can, we can dig into how this applies to Jesus. And, and I think. Maybe the meat of the discussion here. Uh, I do want to point out the seriousness of this because people, mm -hmm. well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Right. It was a big deal. Like yeah. it was a big deal. Uh, verse five and six. Listen to the to the to what 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 the Lord says here about this sin. Right. Uh, he says he for the I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those that love me and keep my commandments. This is a, a generational sin, which I find, you know, the impacts of yeah. false worship and yeah. how we worship God. We worship God like the pagans. Mm. The way that that in, can impact you can have generational yeah. impact. So I'm, I would I, say, me, yeah, I would say I'm not, generational. I'm not saying, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're, you're go ahead. I was just going to say, if you have a picture of Jesus in your room, it doesn't mean that your family is like. Cast off. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's, I it shows that the problem with idolatry is it is generational in that you, if you are an idol worshiper, bring up your children in idolatry. So yes. if you are an idol worshiper, you hate God, and then you raise children who then yep. independently, they are trained to, tra to hate God and be idol worshipers, but they themselves, because of their own sin, 
they hate God, and then they raise children that exactly. hate God, and exactly. you know, so on. So, and, and unless the Lord intervenes, then you see third, you see fourth, it. you know, yes. you, you see it just going down uh, that yes. way. Yes, and so absolutely. it's not people get people get like weirded out, and maybe this is a uniquely a Baptist thing, but I've talked to an awful lot of Baptists that when you read through this, they're, you know, you get a little gunny of like generational curses and what, like, what is right. all of that about and things like that. It's not blood moons. It's blood right. Moons. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It ain't that deep, fam. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just that it's the impact of idol worship. Idol worship affects societies and it affects families and, and things like that. Yeah, so exactly. You know. and, and that, and that's a really good segue because that's, that is at the heart of the second commandment is idolatry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about. So when we, as we kind of shift in here, so why, you know, they look at the question, why does God, or why, why are, why are, sorry, I'm stumbling over words. Why would God prohibit images of God? Mm-hmm. Why would then that play out? It, it, the heart of it is, is idolatry. That is kind of the heart thing that's going on. And I would say that there's kind of two things here that's happening in this commandment uh, and why this is the case. One to honor the holiness, the glory, the sanctity, the perfection, the sacredness of God. So there's a uniqueness with God here. And this is a big point as it comes to why we hold this position. The sanctity and the holiness of God, the glory of God is unique to him and him alone. Mm -hmm. He pulled them out. The Ten Commandments, they're unique. They're coming out of Israel. You're not going to be like the rest of the world because these are false gods. I am the true God. Therefore, Mm -hmm. here are, this is the way it happens. So, the the images and to pr- the to protect idolatry it's it's to honor the holiness of God and then on our end it's to protect protect us because our as Calvin says our hearts are idol factories we will and again if you want evidence of this just you know golden calf throughout the entire uh, Bible men constantly create idols and worship the creation instead of the Creator right right yeah I mean and yeah the, the the and just the history of it alone. I mean, so so just say, for example, the Catholic Church or the uh, Orthodox Church, just say that they started out in the right, you know, that right. they were purely using images for uh, teaching purposes as tools that they weren't to be worshipped and things like that. Look at where it is now, like yeah. what it has degraded into. Um and again, there's lots of things that play into that, obviously, but I think you get a little picture of that third and fourth generation kind of thing that it just yeah. gets, it gets worse and worse and worse kind of and worse. Itself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And, and sin and violations of God's word. I mean, those things are never, um, sin is not uh, happy just maintaining, but it, it must, uh, it must devolve. It must get worse. It must get more depraved and, and things like right. that. Um, right. And that's just the way that um, sinful people and sinful societies go. Yep. And, and in that sense, the commandment is protecting us. Yes. The commandment right. is given to, to honor God in his holiness and protect right. us, which is a beautiful thing. And isn't thing. that all the commandments? It is. I mean, it's that's, pro- yeah. Th- yeah, there's, there's such this misconception that when you look at the Ten Commandments, uh, which again, we would say, the Ten Commandments are moral laws. They are unchanging. That they didn't begin on Sinai. It was always always wrong to murder, but they are expressed on Sinai, right? Yeah. Uh, and so when you look at this, you see this moral reflection of God's character and who it is. And it's not God trying to be a killjoy. It is the operator 
who has created everything and knows how things best operate. He creates commands or he gives commands rather for his glory and for our good. Yeah. I mean, we just got done with that uh, series on uh, lust and, um, and uh, adultery. You know, we said that part of the purpose is to protect marriage because God knows how marriage works best. That's right. So let's just assume something crazy here that the God of the universe knows best and has the right to lay down how he wants to be worshiped. (laughs) Right. And what he finds pleasing and simultaneously imagine this is good for us also. What a wild thought. Unreal. I love it. Unreal. Okay. So the holiness of God, uh, I want to, I want to stress this. Um, For me personally, this was the avenue me thinking and meditating on the holiness of God in this context was the avenue by which I came to this position. So for me personally, mm-hmm. there's, there's some, uh, I don't know, more af- affections, feelings, like it stirs my heart more when I think about this. It all should, right. I'm not like saying the other doesn't, but this was, right, the, right, this was the right. thing that caught my, caught my affections. and really like, okay, maybe there's something here because the holiness of God, it, it has to begin there for me. Because the substance of God, it's unique. There's nothing else like it in the universe. Nothing. Nothing. It, this is the one thing in all of the universe and the spiritual realm that is truly unique, truly mm-hmm. set apart. There is no equal to God. There's nothing like him. There will never be anything like him. The mm-hmm. substance of God's glory is so pure, so precious, and so special that for some created being to try and represent it, to draw up a picture, to play a film is a mocking act. Mm. I remember it was a, I think it was a John Piper sermon. I don't even remember what the sermon is about, but I remember this illustration vividly. He, he said, and I don't even know if I'd fully go with it, but, but it kind of makes the point I'm trying to make here. That's some good nuance. Yeah, that's some good nuance, right? <laughs> so I'm saying something, but don't take it seriously. You know? <laughs> but he said, and I, the, but this illustration's already stuck with me. He says, if there were a room full of a thousand people and Jesus were in the middle of it, the most loving or the glory of God were in the middle of it, like the manifestation, Jesus, the Father, whatever, the, the, the manifestation of God was in the, was in the middle of the room. One of the most loving things he could do in that moment was to stand up and let everyone look at him. Hmm. And I've always like, I've thought about that for a long time, but I think it makes the point. And there's such a uniqueness with God. And we, as, as people, the church, we make so little of the holiness of God. Like if we grasp the significance of the holiness of God, I think it would radically change our lives and the way that we worship and everything. And absolutely what we think about images, Mm -hmm. um, images cannot contain or present to us in any sense the true nature of God. Scripture tells us everything we want to know. If we want to know what God is like, it's within Scripture. Crucifixes, right. for example, like if you think of a crucifix, mm-hmm. it can't capture anything about the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. All it does is capture, at best, a single frame of what Jesus did. It obscures his glory, the greatness right. and the beauty that was Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the righteousness and everything that Christ did. It's obscured in an image right? because it can't right. capture it. It can't right. hold it. And at best, it mocks it. Mm-hmm. 
and at the very you know particularly with images of christ and i hope i'm not we're not jumping ahead too much you know thinking of the crucifix kind of image and stuff like that is yes you're you're in a way you're getting a snapshot of okay jesus on the cross right um but when you have an image of christ at best it, it, at its most accurate you have a partial jesus being represented yeah because jesus is truly god and truly man and you cannot picture his divinity which goes back to the second commandment you cannot why why are you not uh, to make images of man and images of birds and images of things like that you may come up with to try to represent god or you know like they did with the golden calf and things like that because you cannot image the divine god in wood hay stubble gold silver yeah. whatever the you know items may be yeah you're uh, fundamentally those are the trying of false gods absolutely you're tr fundamentally trying to picture the eternal mm -hmm. in the with the temporal right and it doesn't work right and i think we um i think we m like misunderstand um because people talk a lot about an intentions right like well the intention is good i mean that's what you hear a lot about mm. the chosen for example well look at all these people that love it and they're hearing about jesus and all the stuff and so the intention is good but we we get wrapped up and i think in our humanness my my daughters they love drawing and painting and sometimes they draw you know pictures of me that don't look like me at all and <laughs> i think it's cute you know but the but the difference between me and God <laughs> is <laughs> astronomical, right? I mean, to, to try to picture the holy and divine uh, versus, you know, just a, a, a mere man, you know, yeah. trying to draw their dad. I think sometimes we look at it like God is sitting in the throne room saying, oh, well, that's so cute that they're doing that. Yeah. When he has explicitly said Don't he is this. not to be put into images. You know, you know who else had good intentions? I'll give you two lots people. Of, lots of people. Lots of people. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Aaron and the cat. Aaron, Aaron and the golden calf. It's right there right. in Exodus. He had great intentions. He was like, "Oh, right. let's. This is. Let's, this is how. This is what makes me think about God. Oh, he's strong like a bull. Let's. Let's yeah. rally around this. Right. Right. He had good right. intentions. He wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to worship a false god with this. right. And that is the key of that text. Yeah. And to me, the most important factor in the whole golden calf experience is tomorrow we will rise up and we will worship and it will be a feast unto yeah, the he's Lord. And he uses God's and he uses God's proper name. It is a we are not worshiping a false God, but we are worshiping the true God yep. who is being represented before our eyes by this golden calf. Right um, I, th I think that when, when I kind of made the shift on this, um, you know, you were talking about the holiness of God and, and, and right. things like that. Uh, the golden calf, just the layout of the golden calf for me was, I think the big, that was the thing that kind of like it. the big thing that just yeah. made it snap. Like, wow. Okay. This actually makes sense now Yeah, that even if we're saying, okay, well, I have a picture of Jesus and I'm not worshiping the picture, but it's representative of Jesus. I, I think it was John Owen that uh, wrote on this, on this subject. Uh, and he said something again, something to the, to the effect of that 
if if an image stirs your it does not stir your affections it's useless and if it does stir your affections it is idolatrous <laughs> classic classic kind of classic kind of owen uh, uh classic kind of owen uh, love way of putting love it, things yeah. was that just his formula that's kind of just coming to me now like was that just owen's formula for everything like i think it is he had like that that like mapped out on his wall somewhere. Right, right, everything, right, everything works in this formula. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, so I had an example here. You kind of you, you stole my thunder with your your oh, daughter. Sorry. No, no, no. It was a good, great example. But yeah. um, uh, in fact, you, I'll, the other book I got this example right out of Thomas Watson. This is another book yeah. that's really great. We referenced it earlier. But oh yeah, love it. Thomas yeah. Watson. But he but he gives this example, uh, and I'm not saying it in Puritan speak, but he says, imagine. A worthy, good, and wonderful king ruling in splendor. Mm-hmm. Wonderful king. Magnificent, majestic king. And you go up to him and you say, you want to make a portrait. I want to show you a portrait that I've painted of you. Majestic king. And when you go forth to bring forth the painting, it's a picture of a snake. Yeah. Or a frog or a spider or something like that. He would be offended. Like if someone drew a picture of you that were like like a a political cartoon of you of like a, a donkey, right. Or something meant to be insulted. Like it would be offending. It would be offensive to you. And I would say that that is the, the same idea when we come before God with images, because the best picture, the most beautiful picture of Jesus is so far below his glory and right. so far below who he is as God, that at best it's a picture of a snake or a spider or something right. insulting right. because it's so below yeah. him. Yeah, and I think going with that illustration too, it's not as if the king has commissioned a painting yeah. of himself. <laughs> right. It is somebody coming up to the king saying, "Look, I look, painted you. Look what I've got." And it's yeah. a and it's a snake. You know, <laughs> uh, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to uh, see God's image reflected, uh, what we have been commanded to do is not paint pictures, but to reflect him being made in the image of God. Yeah. Uh, and we do not reflect him then in the physical. We reflect him by knowing, you know, being Christ like, right? right. So the body of Christ in this whole yeah. thing, if you, if you want an image of Jesus, then act like Jesus. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you love him, keep his commandments, let, let, uh, yeah. you know, others see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven and yeah. all of those different sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, we just, you know, people say that we're we're silly for talking about this and wasting, you know, wait, you're wasting time on on this kind of thing. But um, I would push back and say, you no, know, you're you're wasting time campaigning for something that God has not commanded and is not beneficial. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a good segue too. Uh, so I, I'll add to. Uh, I've collected a list of verses here I want to share because I think this is a point mm-hmm. worth making. Um, that. When you consider the holiness of God and how special that is and how unique that is. Uh, and if you want more on that, go read Isaiah 6, right? I think there's a wonderful example of of what it means and the holiness of God there. I'm not going to read it now, but go read Isaiah 6. It's a beautiful passage. But there's something unique and special about seeing this idea of seeing God with our own eyes. Think about that for a second. Um, think about all the times in Scripture where it talks, or, or let me back up and just say, think about as Christians, we talk about, oh, I can't wait till I see Jesus. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what that day will be like, right? As the, as the song goes. Yeah. We, we, we th- and rightly, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We think about that. Like, we're like, oh, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. 
Maybe that's because we're not meant to do it now. We're not meant to even attempt to do that now. Right. Right. So I collected a, a five or six verses here, uh, four verses, sorry. Um, I can't count. And just, just, and again, I'm not exegetically moving through these or saying these are directly on this topic, but just as a thematic sense, mm-hmm. um, this idea of seeing God and how special and unique that is. Right. How that's, I propose that this is something that is for us when we're brought into glory to see Jesus face to face. Um, Exodus 33, again, this is a special thing. Exodus 30, 33, 20. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Okay, big verse. Matthew 5, 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Love that passage. Yeah, it's yeah. a great passage. Uh, and then the last one I've got here, Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And there's probably ten or fifteen other verses I oh, could yeah. throw in there. Like, yeah. But this idea, and what I'm trying to get across here, there's something unique about seeing Jesus face-to-face in glory. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if we're doing that now, we're trying to do that now, or making pictures of it now, we're robbing ourselves and God of the glory of that moment, right? Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him in a, in a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Like It's sufficient. Right. The way we have it in the word of God is sufficient. We don't mm-hmm. have to see him to improve our Christian experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, yeah. And the focus there being on uh, the belief aspect and not yeah. the sight aspect. Exactly. Uh, again, the, um, I, just, I, I think I told Jack, it was one of the Helvinic uh, confessions, I think mm-hmm. uh, that puts it, that puts it basically that, that Jesus um Jesus's intention after the resurrection is not to hang around and be a bodily presence, but that he ascends and he sends the spirit. And so this whole thing about, you know, feeling like we need these images, um, that we need these reminders and things that way, the Bible tells us again and again that these things are believed uh, by the by the spirit, the that the affections uh, are brought about through unseen things. I mean, again yeah. and again, we get these these pictures of that it is not by sight that we receive uh, spiritual benefit. I guess, yeah. And our affections are not inflamed by seeing images of Jesus, but rather seeing Jesus in the scriptures. Amen. Um, and all of those things. Um, so, yeah. so what we've been saying then is in that, and what we were saying in our, our chosen episode and all that is that images and film and painting and sculpture, all of those things fall just woefully short uh, in communicating God's glory and communicating his character, hmm. um, which is, you know, what we talked about the crucifix. I mean, the crucifix 
shows a partial yeah untrue image yeah because it is it not can, a whole image it's a it's a not even a half truth it's like a right truth you know it's like just a small instance that doesn't communicate right the full picture and we need the full picture right mm-hmm. um we, we need the full picture we need the life death and resurrection of christ as presented to us in the word of god uh, the word right. of God is sufficient, right? So, right. Uh, in summary, when we make images of God, which is Jesus is God, uh, maybe we should just say that uh, directly right. there. Oh, that's, that's by kind the, of the way, yeah, right, right, yeah, <laughs> the, crux right. Of the argument here, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. When we make images of God, we serve Him in a manner that is not in accordance with His word, right? Again, friends, look at those two imperatives in the second commandment. Yeah. Look at what the historical view has been uh, for, you know, clear back with Israel up through the early church. Um, consi- you know, consider the, the faith aspect versus the sight aspect that's been going on. Yep. Consider that Jesus didn't leave uh, an image of himself or he didn't even hang around, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and then sent the Spirit uh, and then the 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 helper, the paraclete, he comes along and, yeah. uh, you know, builds into the believer. There is so little, even if we were taking the fact that it was a, an, a commandment violation off of the table, mm-hmm. there is so little benefit that you would receive from an image of Christ when you have all of these commanded avenues, the scriptures, uh, encouraging one another, uh, your local body, the preaching of God's word, I mean, all prayer, all of these things, yeah. um, you're, you're fighting for something that isn't even commanded or given as a benefit. Yeah. And I, we're, in fact, we're told not to do it. I would say, right, I would right. I know. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying, <laughs> take no, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, you know, if, even if, the even if you were there, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, so I've got a section here on the idolatry of man and the outline. Yeah. Uh, we've actually touched on a lot of this already as we've kind of gone along. Um, you know, I'll, I'll move through this quickly, and then the the in well in this podcast here, I've collected. If you tune in, maybe you saw this on the page. I asked for people to submit questions because I think one of the best ways to discuss yeah. this. There's always questions. Well, what about right this or what about? And thank you for this? all the questions, by yeah, the way. They're great. Because I mean, as I was reading through these, as I was looking at this, these were a lot of the questions that I had. Yeah. Also, and they're yeah. just they're natural questions to come up. You know, what about Jesus? What about you know pictures of my cat? Stuff like that. You know. <laughs> so yep. yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So quickly on the idolatry. I mean, we've already made the point that. This commandment is also there to protect us because our hearts are idol factories, right. as uh, as Calvin said. Uh, I do want to read Romans 1, 21 through 22, mm. um, again, because what we're seeing is this flipping of, of what we're supposed to do, because I think it describes it here. Uh, Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals, things. Again, you see this, this flip-flop, right? Mm-hmm. God is he, God is immortal. He's untouchable. You can't capture him. Mm-hmm. And a sinful thing that man is doing is exchanging the 
this uh, the creator for the cre for the creation. Right. Right. So we we are prone to do that, and uh, God knows that. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you you will recognize how quickly your heart can be attached to something. Mm -hmm. And in the prohibition of images, um, our hearts are so prone to latch out to something. It's as if God is saying, don't even make anything because somehow your affections will be drawn to it. Right. Right. And particularly if you have something that you try to even put a shroud of divinity on, which again, it makes sense that a image of Jesus could quickly get out of hand. Yeah. Um, because you're saying this is a picture of Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing that was going on, you know, and with the, again, with the golden calf. And I, I keep going back to that. Uh, but to, to say something is divine or that it represents the divine, your heart is drawn toward the divine. Yeah. So to misapply it then, uh, and again, what Jack said, you know, your, your heart, it so easily clings to things that are not worthy of its affections. Yeah. I got a, uh, I have a long quote by Calvin. I'll just read the last sentence. Cause it's really the, the point of it. But another great Calvin quote, he says here that wait, read the, read the long part. Jack. I'll just read the, the short part. Cause I want to get to the questions. We're already coming up on 50 minutes. So uh, if you want to read, but the it's long a quote, bonus episode, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll read the whole thing. Um, Calvin wrote in his institutes. Adoration promptly follows upon this sort of fancy. For when men thought they gazed upon God in images, they also worshipped him in them. Finally, all men, having fixed their minds and eyes upon them, began to grow more brutish and to be overwhelmed with admiration for them, being the images, as if something of divinity inerred there. For just as soon as visible form, for just as soon as a visible form has been fashioned for God, his power is bound to it. And this is what I was going to read. Men are so stupid that they fasten God wherever, sorry, men are so stupid that they fasten God wherever they fashion him, and hence they cannot but adore. Right. So Calvin said it better than I did. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's one of those things you, you read it. So, like, I just said what I said. And then you read that, and it's like, okay, I've never had an intelligent thought. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That's. Every time I read Calvin. Yeah. But, but yeah, th but that's the point. Protect yourself. The, you're so, we are so stupid. Us too. Like me too. Listener, mm -hmm. we men, mankind, our hearts are just going to lurch onto these things. Right. And the commandment is there to protect us so right. that we should worship God in spirit and truth. Truth. Right. Yeah. Um, many people say that they use images of Jesus to stir their hearts, but not to worship. Like this is a pretty common one. Right. Uh, that, well, it's just, it reminds me of, or it, or it, you know, kind of prods my mind or it, you know, whatever. Um, again, if you are married, would you have a picture of another woman on your wall to stir your affections? <laughs> if you do, please go back and listen to our, what, three part series on lust and <laughs> adultery. Right. Yeah. Uh, that would be so offensive to your spouse. Right. The one that you, the one that you claim to love. I mean, it would be offensive to your spouse if it was a woman that was uglier or a woman that was more beautiful, right? So, like that aspect doesn't even matter. It's that it's not the person that you claim that it represents. Yeah. And so to say, well, that stirs my affections, or it reminds me of, or it's a prompt to worship, or whatever the case may be. Uh, 
friends, we got to, we got to pull out of that. Yeah. We got to pull out of that. Yeah. No good. No bueno. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) When Jack goes to Spanish. Right. right. That means it's time for questions. For our uh, English speaking (laughs) listeners, that means no good. No good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So questions. So we'll wrap up here. I've got. 12 questions here that we can fly through. And I think some of there these are going to be repeat. Uh, so we'll, and some of these we've probably addressed in the podcast already, but I do think it's helpful to address these yeah. as, as listener, you may be thinking through some of this. Right. Um, Jared J H. And these all came from the Facebook page, unless they've deleted them. Uh, you can go look there, but Jared J H asked and wrote, is it wrong to accuse others of sin based on them transgressing a catechism? The words of man. Rather than scripture, the word of God. Clearly, Exodus 20 does not prohibit a depiction of Jesus in his humanity. In fact, nothing in scripture does. That prohibition is found in the writings of Christians, but not scripture. So is it wrong to impose that, that standard then on others, even though that standard comes from man and not God? Uh, good yeah. question. So I think to sum that up, and I think the context of this is I had quoted, maybe in the put in the comments somewhere, the Westminster mm-hmm. Confession of Faith. Sure, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. Go ahead. The, the first, I mean, the, the, the answer, the first part, uh, is it wrong to teach, uh, is it wrong to teach, uh, the commandments of men as if they are the commandments of God? Yes. Yeah. Unless what is being taught <laughs> is clearly found in scripture. So again, is, is when you say Exodus 20 clearly does not uh, prohibit depictions of Jesus. We just, I think laid out a very good case that it clearly does prohibit images of Jesus. And one of the great things is, is that um, we don't have to, as, as believers, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants uh, where we are now. And we have this long history of brothers and sisters who have uh, debated these things. They've wrote about these things. Some of them have died for these things, right? That there have been wars fought over these things. And we uh, we have the privilege to have books on our shelves uh, written by faithful Christians who have worked these things out even to the point of death for some of them. That doesn't yeah. mean that we just take what a... Uh, what other Christians say as gospel um, and ignore God's word. Not at all. But Charles Spurgeon once said that a man who refuses to use another man's brain proves that he has none of his own. Right. Um, And so when we look at, you know, the confession, obviously I'm a Baptist, not everything in the Westminster confession I agree with, but I can say, actually, I found out recently that not all, Presbyterians agree with everything yeah, in the Westminster Confession. Right? That's another episode. I, I have an exemption. <laughs> Is that what it's called, Jack? Yeah, it's an exemption. Yeah. So, um, you know, so again, we, we would say that it clearly does. And I, and I hope that we've laid that down. Um, yeah. Right. But yes, but to oppose just man's standards, uh, if we thought it was just man's standards and there's no biblical backing, we wouldn't even be saying this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Good, good answer. Number two, uh, Josh Howard wrote, I'm interested in listening to your reasoning because it, as it stands, it seems to me that you are piling man-made laws atop laws of God as the Pharisees did. I think we've right. just kind of addressed, I think that's kind of at least the spirit of the comment. Um, right. We've addressed right. that. We're, we're not, we, we interpret this as God's law and I think we've made a biblical case why we do. Um, 
So is that Ferris Ferris Pharisaical? Is that the right Pharisaical, way to say that? To, right. to uh to obey God's commandments? I would say no. It would be Pharisaical for me <laughs> right. to say that I find salvation in them or they make me right. me doing them you know improves my standing before God. Uh, yes. in some sense, yeah. but I'm not saying that. I'm saying right. God gave us commandments for his glory and our good and we should study and and take those seriously. Right. And any law of God is going to have natural outworkings and applications that we will speak that you know that you that you speak of naturally Christians will speak of the the outworking of God's law. So for us to talk about well what is an outworking of the second commandment? It's not that we're piling man-made things on top of God's law. It's we're talking about application. Right. Now if we start saying then that our application um uh this is a classic one with like sabbath keeping, you know. Mm-hmm. Um you know that you can have different you know you can come to different conclusions within that I think and still be a believer. Um I'm really heavily convicted on the Lord's day to, if it depends on me, not do business, not go to restaurants, not do things like that, but not everybody who even holds to the Lord's day holds that standard. So again, as we're talking about application of these things, I I don't think it's fair to say, well, you disagree with me. So you're a Pharisee. You're, yeah. you're a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who disagrees with me is a Pharisee. Right, yeah, right. Is that right. that mean? Um, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, good answer. Number three. But it Scott- is a good – but thank you for the question, though, Josh. Yeah, it, it is, is a good, good question. Point, and it is a good warning not uh, not to act as a Pharisee would. And I think everybody Correct. needs uh, reminders of that for sure. Yeah, I didn't mean to be flippant with that. Yeah, that's great. Great answer there. Uh, and thank you for saying that, Blake. Uh, number three, Scott Weldon wrote, uh, what about R.C. Sproul's take that art is a representation of the humanity of Jesus, not the divinity, so therefore not a violation of the second commandment? Um, I think we touched on that. I, I And we talked a little bit this, about this before the podcast began. Some people use this as an argument for art. Mm-hmm. To me, I, the fact that it's focusing on, we, we addressed this earlier, that it's isolating the humanity of Jesus apart from his divinity is a Christological error. I would say, like, I right. don't know why yes. you, yeah. would, right. you would defend that. Like it's, it's right. you're purposely, you're purposely rep- misrepresenting Christ. Like right. that's the intent. So I, I don't know how I've never, I've, I've heard that Sproul believes this. I've never heard him listen to him, give his account for it, but mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense to me at all. It seems like you're going the wrong direction with right. like, let me make more errors to two wrongs. Don't make a right type thing. Right. Um, there was a secondary question. So Robert Mitchell Matthews McDonald, uh, I won't read his full comment. It was rather long. Uh, very good, by the way. I just won't read it because it's not that it's not good. Uh, he's a friend of the of the podcast, but it was it was long and just in the interest of time. But he had a similar similar question. I kind of lumped it in, in in this one. Um, so he, I'll read maybe the end of it here. He says, uh, while he would not recommend images of Christ to be made at all because we cannot separate his human nature from his divine nature. He is one person, truly God and truly man. We cannot represent what his body is today, glorified. We cannot accurately create what his human nature appeared as, and so any image of it would be a misrepresentation. So he's agreeing with us there. We can easily dishonor his human nature, even by accident. Uh, Think of caricatures of Jesus. 
The image can easily become an object of worship and therefore violate the commandments. So while I don't believe it is inherently sinful to make an image of Christ's humanity, I also do not believe that there are sinless ways to do so. So I think what he's saying here is um, it's not sinful to do it, but it's not really recommended, I think is what he's the, the, the sum of wait, his. Wait, wait, wait. So let's see. So while I don't believe it is inherently sinful to make an image of Christ's humanity, I also do not believe that there are any sinless ways to make yeah. those images, right? Yeah. So maybe I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> I thought I did. <laughs> Sorry, Robert. No, I I see I see what he's I see what he's I see what he's I I think I see what he's getting at. I think but I, I would say myself. then that if there is no way to make an image of Christ that is sinless, or to make an image of Christ in a sinless way, then it is inherently sinful to make an image of Christ. Right. What? I mean, that's yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, so yeah, I, I maybe we're, okay. I don't know. Robert Mitchell, Matthews McDonald, maybe we're just slow. I don't know. Uh, it, we, Haley. That is absolutely true. Sorry. <laughs> that, Sorry that, that. that is very possible too. It was Haley a long Jimenez. comment and it was well scripture reference. So I don't want right. to make it sound like he didn't know what he was talking about. I think we're, just slow this evening. So number four, Haley Jimenez says, uh, with the same argument, are kids storybook Bibles also out of the question? What about nativity scenes? Yes. 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 Um, (laughs) okay. Next question. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's again, the, the argumentation is, well, you know, well, how can a child, you know, how can a child understand? Don't they need these images? Uh, Friend, if, if children needed images to, understand the gospel and understand who God is, I am fully convinced that God would have commanded images, make yeah. images for your little children that they might understand and, and all of these things. But that's simply just not, that's just not the, the case at all. You also run the risk, I think, of flippancy uh, with images of Christ in, um, in children's, you know, kind of things. Uh, nativity scenes. Yes. Also, um, Jesus, even Jesus in a manger is still Jesus and not being able to be fully represented. There are some really nice, um, I will say this because this is something that I was actually looking at just about a month ago. Uh, There are some really nice nativity sets that do not violate the second commandment that they don't have a baby Jesus in a manger. Huh. It's like, like a it's like a pile of blankets. <laughs> oh, there you go. But the, yeah, but, yeah. the but the message is communicated. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But then there's but I actually was reading something on monergism like last week uh, that somebody was even saying that even a nativity set uh, trivializes what is taking place apart from uh, uh, the second commandment violation. I don't know mm-hmm. if I agree with that. I haven't yeah. put, I haven't put enough weight into it. But again, an image is an image is an image. You know, something I'll jump in here. You know, one, one of the things the church did in the Middle Ages, because no one could read, was mm-hmm. they used a lot of images. Right. And if you've been to, there, there are churches now where if you go into, um, well, they'll have, if you look along the wall, the stained glass windows will tell like a story. Like mm-hmm. you kind of go from left to right around the building. And, but isn't it cool that when the Reformation happened, the word of God got translated into the, to the vulgar languages, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but the, when the word of God was read and preached, that practice really 
began to to fade out of practice. Like you see it today in in like the Catholic Church and, and right. whatnot. But but just the general practice really got diluted because the Word of God became prevalent. People learned faith comes from hearing, and hearing the very Word of God. Right. So, anyway. But they are still popular today because outward forms and ignorance are still popular yeah. today. That is true. So particularly in the Catholic Church. So yeah. if you know any cultural Catholics, it's, you know, there's there's the outward forms of things, but no uh, real theological meat of any kind. Right. So in that regard, stained glass is still being used in the same way that it was being used then. In the medieval times, yeah. 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 Number five, Andrew Hennis. Uh, Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. He says, if a depiction of Jesus is a second commandment violation, why aren't all pictures? The scripture says any depiction of anything on above or on or below the earth. So if if it isn't so if it isn't about not worshiping, wouldn't all statues and pictures be a second commandment violation? Right. I think we covered this so earlier. It has to well, I, I do I will say. Okay. I will say it has to be that those references to things above and the air and to the sea and humans and creatures and all these things, that those things are being viewed as images that are being made to represent God. Yes. It's not saying well, you can't make a statue of a dog. It's you do not make a statue of a dog by which you will try to worship the one true God uh, because there are commanded images that God actually commands in the uh, in the Bible itself, uh, in Exodus uh, twenty five, uh, there's the uh, the cherubim on the ark yeah. are commanded, and then like immediately after that, it's either twenty five or twenty six, uh, is the is the lampstand is being described. Uh-huh. Um, the lampstand is supposed to be made like a tree with flowers and fruit and things like that uh, that are on it. You have of course the the cherubim on the curtains in the tabernacle. When you flash forward to first um, Kings and the building of the, uh, of the temple, mm-hmm. uh, there's images required there too, uh, that the cedars are carved like gourds and, and things like that. Um, the bronze serpent in numbers is yeah. another commanded, you know, image that, that God says to make. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not a prohibition against um, art uh, there's not a prohibition uh, even against uh, artistic expression that is not directly commanded by God. So God directly commands those things. Uh, but then when you look later in First um, uh, Kings 10, uh-huh. as uh, Solomon, we're talking about Solomon's kind of stuff, you know, like Solomon builds his throne. We've got the lions, you know, going up right. to the throne. Very, very boss, you know, I mean, in his yeah. throne room and things like that. But those things aren't <laughs> commanded, or at least we don't have any indication that God did command those things. It was just uh, Solomon talking to his uh, interior designer or something. And they, yeah. you know, and they came up with those things. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, Andrew Langworth, this is a really good question, by the way. This is one, and I'll, and I'll preface this before I read it and say, I will do my best and Blake will do his best to answer this. We kind of, I think it kind of relates to the one we had before it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my answer may not be perfect, you know, so we're not perfect. So if you're, you don't like this answer, go study more. That would be my, my advice to you. Yeah, right, right. But, but he writes, yeah. do depictions of a flaming bush, tongues of fire, etc., also violate the second commandment because they are depictions of how God depicted himself. Does he violate the second 
the second commandment himself when he uses images that do not do justice to all he is. Well, mm. I would fundamentally say God can't violate himself. Um, right. That's an impossibility. Um, God cannot sin. There's no sin within him. Can't do that. So if God has presented himself or communicated um, in a way, like think of the burning bush to when he's, when he came to Moses, if he's yeah. chosen to do that way, it's absolutely not sinful because God is God. Right. It would be would wrong. Would you be comfortable? Him. Would you Go be ahead. comfortable saying that when God chooses the medium by which that the burning bush is not God in the same way that Jesus is God? Yeah. Right. Uh, but the burning bush is not God, but he is communicating through that, uh, yes. that medium that that thing then could be pictured. Yeah, I think so because yeah. it's, it's a, it's a medium and it's not the thing itself. And that's what right. makes the incarnation so, so special. Right. Right. Uh, right. Is that God Philippians two, right. He's laid aside what it meant to be God and took the mm -hmm. form of a man. Like it's unique. It's different. Mm -hmm. But God using a medium, think of a, you know, tongues of fire, flaming bush, whatever he did, uh, mm -hmm. pillar of fire. Um, in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I think in that Deuteronomy text, Moses mentions that, right? Um, sorry, I'm doing this on the fly. Yeah, he says, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Harab out of the midst of the fire, like he mentions that. So. Mm -hmm. Um, even in that case, like there's this, God is communicating through these things. It's the way he's choosing to do it, right? but he's not violating his own commandment in doing so. Um, right. and he's not making a likeness of himself under the bush. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I think so that, if I want a, uh, so I guess the question comes down to is if I want a painting of a, of a flaming bush or a, a lion or something like that, um, is that a violation? I don't think so. I don't because it's okay. not it's not claiming to be God. Right. It's a medium by which God chose to speak. I mean, it's right. some in, in a if I want to be really silly about it, I could say my Bible here is a medium by which God has chosen to speak. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, not not the same thing, clearly, but right. but the yeah, I think it's yeah. not him. Yeah. yeah. I think that could that could actually lead to a a, maybe a deeper discussion another time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great it is question. an interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting thing to to work out. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Mike. See, are we on Mike's question? Yeah, Mike Carothers. I apologize I if it, I, yeah. yeah, if I said that wrong. My question is regarding something in uh, question one hundred and nine in the Westminster Catechism. The Catechism mentions that making a representation of God all or any of the three persons inwardly in our mind is forbidden. How does this work practically with reading passages involving Jesus? Uh, either about his description, Revelation 1, you know, the, the thunder in his eyes, you know, lightning in right. his eyes, all those things, or this life and ministry on earth that is in the Gospels. How do you read, study, uh, meditate on those passages without a mental picture of Jesus? I would say, adding to that, particular glimpses that the Scripture gives of them plucking out Jesus' beard. Jesus yeah. saying, feel my hands, feel my side. You know, this isn't part of Mike's question. Um, but this was one of the things that was a hang up for me in changing mm -hmm. the position. Like, how can you not image the thing that you are reading? And a mutual friend of, of Jack and I and, and Grayson uh, said that he didn't. And I thought, you know, that's just that's just ridiculous. There's no way 
that you're reading it and not imaging God while you're reading it. But you know what? It's amazing. I don't. Hmm. Like, I don't image Christ as I'm reading it. And I don't know why that is or how that is. But I don't like the... The, the classic kind of pictures of Jesus and things that have been pressed in on us, like in Western society and things like that. Like those things don't come to my mind when I'm reading uh, yeah. scripture anymore. They used to, they used to, when I was a young man, when I was a young Christian, I just had a, I had a little chosen episode of my own mind playing out in my head. <laughs> uh, you know, as I was, as I was reading your own things. Dallas Jenkins. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, this you know, I think we, is Dallas. This is Dallas. I think we talked yeah. about this briefly in the the chosen episode. But there's a thing. I think it's called mental image theory or mental yeah right theory image something like that. But mm-hmm. the, it's one of the things that to me is so dangerous about the chosen because we don't know everything that happened there. And fundamentally, if you if you start allowing your mind to, to reenact these scenes, you are inevitably going to create dynamics instances responses, emotions, something that really didn't happen. Right. We know, we know what scripture needs to tell us to know. Right. 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 So if we don't, yeah, facial and facial uh, expressions, voice inflections, you know, all of those things uh, that all plays into that mental image theory uh, that we talked about on the chosen episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's dangerous. dangerous. It's, it it seems small, but it's dangerous. Yeah. If, if, you know, Jesus, if Peter comes to Jesus and, and I'm trying to think of a good instance here. Um, what would be a good instance in the Bible? I don't know. I don't try not to. I'm trying not to picture. Yeah, I'm trying it. not to do the thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't um, don't think just, about the white elephant. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. if but if Peter came to Jesus and said something, and uh, we read it in Scripture, depending on how the chosen, what if Jesus smiled? What if he looked surprised? What you yeah. know, or if he was scowling? Yeah, or if right. he scowling, so, like that, yeah, right, right. That could totally influence how you how you interpret the way Jesus, the character of Jesus, right. right? But you're forced to do that in the chosen because it's visual form, right? Like you're right. creating an image. So anyway. Uh, yeah, Blake, Blake had a good yeah. answer there. Okay. Yeah. So mental going. images, uh, yeah, we would say even avoiding mental images is, yeah, what, is did, what did Calvin say? He said, uh, men are so stupid that they fasten God wherever they fashion him, including yeah. the mind, and hence they cannot but adore. Right. Right. Um, um, yeah. And we know the dangers of worshiping a God of our own mind for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Megan Tordero. Should we strongly correct others, other believers, for watching The Chosen? Are we not taking God at his word and actually think this topic is up for debate? Second commandment, uh, second commandment stands. But then again, this would cancel out all Jesus movies, etc. I can't wait to hear your guys' stance on this. Love your podcast. Thank you, Megan. So, Thank a, you. A, a, again, a couple of things. We do have to keep in mind. I think it's important, and we talked about this on the Chosen episode, is there is big money in this industry, okay? There is big money in Jesus shows and documentaries and movies and all of this because there's so many believers or professing believers or even cultists who are naturally attracted to these kinds of things. They want to see the high value production show about Jesus, which is why the chosen exists anyway. So 
what we have found, and if you follow the page and probably what you have experienced too, is if you go to correct someone on the chosen, the word strongly <laughs> is up for interpretation because, uh, you know, you want to correct in love. Some people, again, are just ignorant of the position and what you and I may take for like, well, yes, this is biblical fact. Some people may never even thought of this. Right. Or thought about the outworkings so or the applications and implications and all of these things. So I would say, yes, lovingly, lovingly correct or lovingly, you know, have this, this conversation. I mean, don't go into grandma's house and start smashing her pictures of Jesus, you know, at Thanksgiving. Uh, but maybe it would give you an opportunity to, you know, hey, we, this is something we can, we can talk about. And I'll add that that's part of the, you know, this comes up a lot. This is a rabbit trail. I won't be on it long, I promise. But people are like, why do you post memes and do all these silly things? And, you know, I, th I think the thing that most that started the most recent one is I it's said It's mostly something. our spouses that ask that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, it is. But, but part of the reason we do that is because to stir conversation and people to think. Yeah. Right? A meme is a silly thing. They're pointless. Sometimes they're fun. Uh, but they have no weight other than sometimes they generate great discussion. Yeah. And sometimes if you're offended by something, and I'm talking to myself too, you have to stop and ask, why am I offended by this? Should I be offended by this? Should I think more critically about this thing that this person is saying? Right. Not all memes, right. but that's part of the reason we, we post memes is because they yeah. tend to be great, uh, yeah. a great medium to make a point. Humor yeah. or sarcasm is a great way to make a point. It's an excellent, right, so right. very, but, very yeah, effective. But, a, in a, but, but, a, but doing so in a loving way, particularly if you care about the person, you, normally a comment section is not the place yeah, that's that anyone place. is going to be persuaded to anything. Uh, but I will say on this very subject, uh, I had these questions and it was uh, some other loving brothers. Again, Jack being one of them several years ago uh, that answered and fielded all of my, my questions. And then even kind of some of my irritabilities in like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And, um, it was a loving reaction from brothers in Christ, uh, both Baptist and Presbyterian, uh, that helped me along in thinking, yep. okay, well, what does the Bible actually say? So strongly correct, correct in love for sure. Correct in love, be, yeah. be direct, be honest, but be loving. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, number nine, perpetual pilgrim, which was a play, was a page. Such a strange uh, name. Perpetual. Yeah, I wonder if it's pilgrimage. What if it's pilgrimages? I don't no, know. No, you're, you're right. I don't know. Are paintings and photos and videos of people and things on earth and in the sea graven images? It does it not also say to make likeness of anything on earth or in the water? Should we smash our phones and delete our pictures of our loved ones? I think we answered this earlier. Right. The implication uh, is those things being used to represent God. Yeah. Right. Number 10, David So no, McIntyre. don't smash your phone or delete pictures of your loved ones. Smash your phone, but... Not for yeah, that man. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, it could do wonders for your holiness. Who knows? <laughs> uh, number ten, David McIntyre, friend of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, wrote: "Do you believe that it is a second commandment violation to have a cross in a sanctuary where worship occurs?" I would say no. No. Um, no. In fact, cross. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No. Go ahead, John. Uh, I was just say it's not a depiction of Christ. It's mm -hmm. it's a, a similar to the first century Christians. It's a way to uh, proclaim what he's done. Yeah, the message of salvation without violating the second commandment. It's a it's a reminder, a symbol of faith. Yeah, one of the particular yeah. beauties of the cross that is hanging in many sanctuaries um, versus a crucifix is that our cross is empty. 
Amen. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for you and for me. Amen. Number 11. Uh, this is one of my favorite comments, by the way. Uh, Stan Jungbluth, Youngbluth. I'm mm. probably not saying that right, so I apologize, Stan. But he's but he said, and this, and I'll say this sentiment is something we get pretty common in the in yep. the in the comment section whenever mm-hmm. this topic comes up. People are dying, or people all over the world are coming to saving faith as a result of the chosen. Why have you chosen this hill to die on? Millions of babies are being slaughtered in the womb. Christians are martyred in unimaginable ways, and our own country is turning its back on Israel in its most time of need. And and your quote boxers are in a bunch over the chosen. Stan, let me ask you a question. Why are you on the internet, on Facebook, commenting on our page when there are millions of babies being slaughtered in the womb? Christians are being martyred in unimaginable ways and the country is turning back. So here's the problem with this argumentation. And Jack and I were talking about this earlier today. The problem with this kind of argumentation is just because we say something is important does not mean other things are unimportant. Right. We are not saying that this second commandment thing and the chosen thing is the important thing and that uh, the Holocaust of uh, babies is not important. We're not saying that at all. And so that's such a strange, um, that's such a strange working out. It, it honestly, uh, and I say this in love, Stan, it, it is an emotional outworking. Yeah. Uh, it's an emotional argument rather than um, a theological argument. If you sit down and think about it, we can hold simultaneously that there are many important things is this abortion thing important? Absolutely. Is violating God's law on any point important? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I don't wear boxers. Question 12. <laughs> wow. You might need to delete that, Jack. Yeah. Number <laughs> 12. Jaime, Erica. Boxers Santos. are in a bunch. Uh, sir, that is a violation of the ninth commandment. You are telling falsies or anything. Lies. <laughs> That's a nine Jaime CD, Erica sir. Jaime, Erica, Santos. Uh, is it just images of Jesus or is it also images of cross that are violations of the second commandment? With that, David uh, McIntyre asked a similar question. No, yeah. just just images of Jesus. And that was the last the last question I had. Yeah. Um, so thank you for for those of you that submitted questions. I'm sure some more came in by the time I recorded these. Right. But hopefully we... If we didn't right. answer it, we, we maybe addressed it in the main body of the podcast or mm. someone had a similar question. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake, any anything in closing? No, I mean, again, brothers and sisters listening to this, I, I just, I think that it is good and it is healthy to, when you have a, uh, a theological stand point, to occasionally even if it even if it's for pure refreshment to reevaluate your positions there is nothing wrong with doing that and asking why do i believe this um has you know studying different points running things out uh you know what has been held historically what is you know all those things there's nothing wrong with looking at this and saying okay i i'm in a position where i have believed that images of Jesus are okay. Why do I believe that? And is, and is there something contrary in God's word uh, that would speak otherwise? 
um, don't be afraid to, you know, do those kinds of things. And I think, yeah. it, and it's healthy and it's good. And maybe you'll study this out and you'll come to some really, really amazing conclusions that disagree with us. I don't think you will, but I would encourage you to put the work in um, and go beyond just saying, well, lots of people like the chosen, so it must be okay. Yeah. Amen. How about uh, you, Jack? Well, I'll just say a couple books. Uh, I held them up earlier, but just in conclusion here. So these these two books were helpful for me. Uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. There's one chapter dedicated to it on this, but it's quite good. And then The Ten Commandments uh, by Thomas Watson. He has a chapter dedicated to the second commandment. He talks about it at right. length. Um, those are two, two of the best resources. There's a lot of stuff on monergism. Uh, if you just right. go you know, look up, there's a ton of articles on there you can find. Right. Calvin... His commentaries, the institutes, he touches on it quite a bit in there. Yeah. Um, some of the reformers, uh, when you get closer to the heart of the Reformation, they tend to be a lot more um, animated, vocal than <laughs> maybe like Packer would be. Right. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they were right in the thick of right. the Reformation. And everything right. Like that. So just know that. Yeah. Um, but the content's good all around. Yeah. Another really great uh, resource. I think I've mentioned this before. I always tell people if you're going to take, if you're going to get two approachable books on the 10 commandments, my favorites are 10 commandments by Watson. Again, even though he was a, a, you know, writing, you know, kind of old school kind of writer, very, very good, very approachable. I think Watson's one of the most approachable uh, uh, Puritans. And then uh, Kevin DeYoung's book on the Ten Commandments. Oh yeah, it's a great it's a it's a yeah. short read, but it's really really good. Lots of really good application. Uh, you know, he deals fairly extensively at the end of his chapter on the Second Commandment of like, well, children, like children's Bibles and things like that, and and um, images. And he, in, in again, in a very approachable, uh, practical kind of outworking of things. So yeah, I would encourage you to pick that one up too. Yeah, good stuff. I will leave. I'll end it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from the from the Thomas Watson book. Uh, again, again, the heart of this whole thing is idolatry. That's mm -hmm. that's what the Lord is trying to protect us. Is protect our hearts from being to committing the sin of idolatry. But yep. Watson says in his book that um, idolatry is spiritual adultery. Yep. So that's the seriousness of what this is. And for Blake and I, we're obviously convinced of this. We position this to you for your consideration. Feel free to uh, reach out to us, comment in the YouTube section. I'll do my best to follow up on that. Um, yeah, I, I hope this spurs healthy discussion. I hope it spurs uh, healthy, rigorous study of God's word. Uh, and if in you know, if that's done, then I'll, I'll say we've been successful. We can encourage you to get to God's word and you go do that. And we'll accomplish something. Amen. In the, in the Lord, the Lord is working through us. So thanks for listening. This has been the chorus in the chaos. My name is Jack. And, and that Blake. Man sitting next to me is Blake. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs>